It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson. The most important stories. An early childhood taxing district. What on earth is that? The latest in politics and world affairs. I don't think that we should be passing legislation that is so complicated that people kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, I can't understand it. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. It is not fair that just because you're a big business that you get a break on this and the little guy doesn't. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. And so they make deal, and they typically make deals with the big guys. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Happy Friday. You made it through the week. I am Kim Munson. And uh, we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. We're having conversations about important things that you need to know about uh, so that you can get your brain around these issues and talk with your friends and your family, your neighbors, your colleagues about these things because we need to engage in this big battle of ideas that is raging in America today if, in fact, we're going to protect this American idea of uh, individual rights, of people having the the uh, inalienable rights to go after their life, their liberty, and their pursuit of happiness. So welcome. It is great to have you here. Thrilled to have in studio with me uh, guest Ameridude, and that is Rick Turnquist. Rick, it's great to have you here. Good morning, Kim. Delighted to be here with you this morning. You're becoming this regular guest. Yes, it's been uh, it's been great coming on the radio with you and talking about these issues. Well, and there is an excellent piece. You've done an op-ed that uh, is on uh, Merichicks.com. And there's, I, I really believe there's going to be a big assault, an all-out assault, to get rid of Tabor in 2020. That's right, Kim. And, and that's and the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. The Taxpayer Bill of Rights, yes. It's been in place since uh, it was uh, passed by 53% of the electorate in, in uh, 1992. And uh, politicians have been assaulting it since uh, the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year we're going to see an all-out attack on it. And we can see that across the progressive network, uh, the progressive infrastructure, as I like to call it. Uh, they're all you know universally attacking Tabor from every angle. And Proposition CC is uh, the main front on that attack. But they They're aiming for nothing less than a full repeal of the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Well, and it's not just the left. There's people uh, that have an R behind their names that are after it as well. And that's true, and that's very disappointing to me as a lifelong Republican that uh, some Republicans don't seem to understand that the role of government is limited and should be strictly defined and and. Uh, within constitutional limits. And unfortunately, a lot of Republicans often want to use the power of government to enact their policy goals and and aspirations, regardless of whether that's truly a proper role of government. And we can see that in the growth of the budget over the last 27 years, when both parties have been in charge of the state house and both parties sit on the joint budget committee. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is that you have gone in and uh, really looked at the numbers on the budget. So we're going to delve into that in segments three and four. Go to my website, Ameritix.com. Rick Turnquist, your op-ed is there. And, you know, the last couple of op-eds that uh, you've had, they have just uh, really, people have really appreciated them. They've they've shared them. And uh, so it's great to have you in studio. Ultimately, Rick, when we look at these issues, it's freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Surveys show that Americans like freedom. And uh, socialism ultimately comes down to force. There's been this uh, romanticizing of uh, the word socialism, but socialism ultimately comes down to force. And I'd like to remind each of you that the word Nazi actually stands for the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Socialist. And ultimately, you can see what played out with Germany uh, 
under those socialists. So that is why we have to actually, we have to, to kind of take the gloves off and talk about what these words really, really mean. And that's very true. In the 1920s and 1930s, socialism was very much uh, in vogue among American intellectuals. And they, you know, before he turned out to be a mass murdering monster, you know, people on the left admired Mussolini and Hitler. And Mussolini and Hitler and, and Joseph Stalin, they're all of the left. The, that ideology of totalitarian government control is a leftist ideology. And when they say, you know, Hitler was right wing, what they what they're talking about in ignorance is the the fact that Hitler was right wing only in the context of European politics of the time, not in the context of American conservatism. Thank you for clarifying that. So all kinds of nuggets of wisdom that come out of this when we have Rick Turnquest on. So it's great to have you. And again, it's freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Socialism ultimately is force. And we are seeing uh, the socialization of uh, through the administrative state of our transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. Um, so first of all, I want to say thank you to producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie for your good support, your good work. And thank you to all you listeners out there. You're valued you're treasured you've got a purpose go out there and do that to uh today and wishing you a great day on that steve i know what you're going to be doing about five thirty this afternoon uh you want to tell our listeners supervising yeah <laughs> steve and patty and i are going to go out to 88 drive-in theater and we are going to work the snack bar 88 drive-in theater susan Kochevar is one of my very valued partners and we've talked about doing this for a couple of years and I think it's going to be a blast. There's going to be three movies. I'm not sure that we're going to make it all the way through all the movies, but I think that we'll be there for that onslaught with um, funnel cakes and popcorn. And, and she de- did say that about 11 o'clock is, that when they, is when they start selling the hot chocolate, though. <laughs> well, all I can say is that for speaking for myself, no one else, that for uh, media people who go to bed rather early, this could be... Uh, a real challenge. It, it could be. We may need to take a nap because we get up pretty early. So, uh, Our quote for today, I was thinking about, you know, proper role of government. And so I thought Ludwig van Mises would be a good, uh, good person to quote today. And uh, he said, it is, it is vain to fight totalitarianism by adopting totalitarian methods. Freedom can only be won by men unconditionally committed to the principles of freedom. The first requisite for a better social order is the return to unrestricted freedom of thought and speech. And that's Ludwig von Mises. I thought that that was a very powerful statement for today, Rick. It certainly is. And there's a reason why the the uh, protection of free speech is the First Amendment to the United States Const- Constitution. And the Second Amendment was put in place to protect that. But... Uh, you know, freedom of thought and speech is very important because your thoughts and your speech are your property. And one of the proper functions of government is to protect property. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute on one of these articles. So, Steve, you know, the kids are back in school and I'm thinking, okay, what would be a good little funny for today? So I've got one for you. Are you ready? Fire away. Okay. Teacher, Johnny, I've had to send you to the principal every day of the week. What do you have to say for yourself? Johnny says, I'm glad it's Friday. We need to do some research. Johnny's got to be one of the most maligned kids in history. (laughs) 
He's you a think, troublemaker. Do you think we're yet, bullying him? Maybe we're bullying him. What do you think? One time he's a troublemaker. The other time he's a philosopher, right? <laughs> That's true. Let's jump into some of these headlines, though. First thing, I just, uh, if you're paying attention, this whole Jeffrey Epstein thing is just wild. As uh, many of you know, he's this uh, very, or was, well, <laughs> uh, very wealthy uh, businessman, uh, I, you know, they can't quite figure out how he made all of his money, but he apparently trafficked in young girls, and he apparently trafficked in young girls with very powerful men, and uh, he was uh, recently arrested. He was in a very supposedly uh, secure facility in New York City. He died last weekend. Uh, the initial story was suicide by hanging. Uh, yesterday, a report came out that, yes, the, the injuries to him from the autopsy, the injuries maybe could be from suicide, but they were more in line with strangulation. And uh, I, I think this is, uh, this is becoming very intriguing. Apparently, he was going to start singing about uh, some of the, the, the uh, people that um, partook in this trafficking of these young girls. And so he apparently... Uh, uh, you know, had his demise this last weekend. I think, I think that there's going to be a whole lot of information coming out. Steve, what do you think? Oh, it's here we are again. Another, and of course, you know who's in the shadows. Uh, again, with oh, there's a great meme on Facebook about musical groups of the '70s and '80s and what of on all their hits, but the last one is Bill and Hillary. And the number of hits that they have, <laughs> and they're leading the way. <laughs> so, but here we are again with this incredibly mysterious surroundings. Uh, let's let's rattle them all off. He was moved out of the suicide watch cell, put in a regular cell. Supposedly, his cellmate was removed earlier than you know, a couple hours before them finding his body. Uh, it just smells, and. You know, you the cameras see. weren't working. Oh, and the, the cameras weren't the, working. Uh, the, apparently the uh, guards had gone to sleep. Yeah. So uh, here we go again. You know, if in fact this is true, I mean, one has to wonder how could somebody get into a, uh, a very secure prison and, and that this could happen. I think that William Barr is going to get to the bottom of this. And I think that there are very powerful people that are quaking in their boots that what could possibly come out. They never dreamed that uh, Donald Trump would win the election for president, and he is starting to peel off the, the layers to the onion. And uh, I think they're just trying to buy time, doing everything they can to defeat him in 2020. Because if, in fact, I think that if he wins in 2020, we are certainly going to find out what's, what happened there. If he doesn't win, I think that... Uh, I think that then we might see uh, less. We won't know what's going on. So what do you think, Rick? Well, I don't know what happened, obviously. And I, I agree with you that it, it's very fishy. It just is very, very suspicious. And uh, people who want to put all their trust in government, um, you know, never seem to recognize that government fails in so many ways and, and in so many instances. And in this case, the government failed to protect keep a <clears throat> vile person safe uh, while he was waiting the trial he so richly deserved. And whatever happened to Jeffrey Epstein, I can only say one thing. The world's a better place without him. <laughs> 
you, you cut right to the chase and let me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did. Uh, he did really bad stuff, and and to and. Uh, I mean, it's it's astounding to and me, it, and it's it's unfortunate, you know, that his victims won't get their day in court uh, against facing against him in a court of law, and I, I feel uh, bad for them for that. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think that it would have been better if the government had been able to protect this individual from either murder or suicide, so that he could uh, sit in a courtroom and and if he was going to sing, great, you know, we need to peel back these layers of corruption that exist in the swamp that is Washington D.C. Well, and that truly was government's job is mm-hmm. is to make that happen. And to your point, they failed. And uh, just one other thing, apparently, there's a story out there that in his uh, posh apartment in New York that there was this kind of weird picture of Bill Clinton in a blue dress and and uh, you know and so that's you're seeing that go throughout the uh, internet I saw the picture I'm not sure I really believe that I mean in this day and age with all this photoshopping I'm not sure that I really believe that Steve what do you think well I say my first observation yesterday was that it was a kind of a rush job photoshop job it really didn't look natural yeah the lighting was off and the lighting was off. So uh, I think that we need to make sure that we're searching for truth on all of these issues. And uh, Jeffrey Epstein, I, th- I, I think that there's going to be a whole lot of information that's going to come out. And uh, I think it's important that the American people understand that. And there is a reason why we are supposed to keep government limited. And, you know, just to add kind of another comment on this, you know, recently it's just coming out that uh, Hillary Clinton's email all had metadata in them that were sending all of her emails through her private server that was against the law um, to uh, a Chinese company. So there's I I think we're going to see more information coming out in in the days ahead uh, regarding uh, Hillary Clinton's gross malfeasance of duty while she was Secretary of State. Well, and we're talking, you know, China certainly is in the headlines right now regarding what's going on in Hong Kong. And um, when you see what is happening there, you realize that China does not value the rights of everyday individuals. Oh, that's very true. And China is a is a tyranny. China is a autocratic totalitarian government. It's a communist government, which means it's socialist. They have embraced some free market reforms, and that's why their economy is doing as well as it as it is. Uh, you could say China is no longer a, a developing country. They're certainly a, becoming an economic powerhouse, and they're vying for the United States with uh, for the role of world leader. And what's better for the world to be led by a semi-free country like the United States or a communist country, a totalitarian country like China? Well, I hope that the answer is obvious to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll go through some more headlines in segment two, segment three and four. We're going to focus on this very important piece. It is at Americhicks.com. It's called The Proper Role of Government. It's an excellent piece that Rick has written. And so would highly recommend that you, uh, you know, read that today. And uh, this is Kim Munson. We'll be right back. Looking for an awesome place to host your draft party? Look no further than Hooters. With tons of TVs, free Wi-Fi, world-famous wings, and ice-cold beer, you're probably thinking, it doesn't get any better than that. But wait, at Hooters, it does. Every fantasy league gets a free draft kit and over $200 in Hooters swag. Join us for fantasy football done Hooters style. Book now at Hooters.com football. That's Hooters.com football. See you at Hooters. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. 
If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. There's two things I'd really like to hit on uh, in this particular segment. So we're going to just jump right in here. The first is, uh, and we've talked about it earlier this week, the Air Quality Control Commission here in Colorado is holding uh, meetings, hearings. It started on Tuesday. It should conclude today regarding... The executive order from Governor Polis uh, regarding ZEVs, zero emission vehicles, and LEVs, low emission vehicles. First of all, that is a misnomer. And uh, when we talk about moving the Overton window on people's opinion, when you use those words, zero emission and low emission vehicles, it makes them think, oh my gosh, you know, clean. It makes them think the words may be responsible. In essence, it's not it's not true. And so I'm starting to call them DDEVs, and that is uh, deceitful, and they're actually dirty. If you look at the complete global uh, environmental cost in building these particular vehicles, because many of these vehicles, the batteries that uh, are needed to... To power them, uh, these batteries, first of all, we don't know in eight years what we're going to do with those batteries. So from an environmental standpoint, we haven't even honestly looked at that. And then there's many rare earth minerals that go into the construction of these these particular vehicles. And that's typically done over in third world countries. It's a lot of mining over there. And uh, so we need to be honest when we're talking about you know, talking about these vehicles. But what it really is, Rick, what I really believe is it is trying to socialize, trying to uh, control transport uh, mobility. And the freedom of mobility is key in people being able to thrive and flourish. That's very true. And and the left uh, has declared war on the gasoline-powered internal combustion engine, uh, specifically as it relates to uh, the personal automobile. And, and you know, we've talked about uh, on the show about how RTD is kind of a, a wealth transfer from lower-income people to higher-income people in terms of the, sub, you know, the way that uh, the light rail is funded. Subsidized. And, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, Douglas County, a very wealthy county, a lot of ridership from there going downtown. But it, 
you know, DEVs as their, or DDEVs as you <laughs> like to call them more accurately, uh, you know, it's another wealth transfer because we're, we're, we're paying state subsidies or giving tax credits to people who buy these cars and, and uh, you know, using taxpayer dollars to set up charging stations all over the state to make it more convenient for them to use. And, you know, Teslas are expensive cars. I mean, I, I uh, looked at one one time and I was like, yeah, that's a little bit outside my budget. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's, there's just no reason why the state should be picking winners and losers in the, ta- in the transportation market and subsidizing these vehicles, which actually are, uh, in their own way, harmful to the environment. Mm-hmm. Well, and a friend of mine has a Tesla. They showed it to me. And it's, it's cool. And uh, Steve, I think he always likes to bring me back to, so that it doesn't look like I'm against everything because I'm thinking you guys all understand that, hey, if something can um, compete in the free market and be successful, I'm all for it. If electric vehicles can compete in the, the free market, great. But that's not the case. You mentioned a $12,500 income tax credit. That means that people that are driving those Teslas around right now has been able to take $7,500 off the money that they were supposed to pay uh, in income tax to the federal government and 5000 to the state of Colorado. And so in essence, then the rest of us are paying for that. And that's what I don't like. And then also Elon Musk, and, and this was a 2015 article in the LA Times, so who knows what that is, but he had received over $4 billion in tax subsidies. And so that's why I get pretty whacked out on this is because you were seeing government cozy up to big business here and it's the regular people that are getting hurt. And so hopefully I'm Steve likes to bring me back to make sure it doesn't look like I'm just, you know, Debbie Downer on everything. Well, let's uh, go back to Tuesday when our guest was Wayne Weingarten. He brought out some very fascinating points, the things that you're not hearing from any proponent of ZEVs or LEVs or whatever the they DDEVs. are. The DDEVs. Or the okay. DDEVs. Okay. Uh, the most fascinating one was temperature. If you get, say, 200 miles on a charge, but it gets super cold, potentially you could lose 40% of that mileage. So there's 80 miles you're not getting, potentially not getting. Well, and think of the traffic congestion but, with all these electric vehicles that have, have lost 40% of their charge and they're on the side of the road. I mean, that's going to be a real problem, Steve. But the potential, though, and, and I, I love when my wife gets fired up over stuff like this. She, she knows what we're talking about on the show. And I'm thinking, all right, everyone thinks about electric vehicles. And the idea they have in the head, their head is that when I get home at night, I plug my car in and overnight it charges. And the next morning I'm ready to go. Great. What happens in midday if you need a charge and you're not around home? First of all, you have to find a station, a charging place. Is it free or available or is there somebody else using it? When you plug in, how long does it take to charge? An hour? Two hours? I don't know. I don't have any practical experience. But these are the weak points, the Achilles heel of all this that nobody's talking about. And therefore, there we go again. We are not against these things, but bring it to us in a usable form that doesn't increase the cost of doing anything. And so what is happening? Oh, go ahead, Rick. Well, I was going to say, and, and let me choose whether I buy an electric car and so I can feel good about myself or just buy a regular uh, gasoline-powered car, which, which they're very fuel-efficient. They're very clean-burning compared to what they were 20, 30 years ago. And, you know, everybody wants to breathe clean air. There's, that's, not a, that's not in dispute. But what we, what we do take exception to is government picking winners and losers in what should be a free market. 
And so what is happening down at the Air Quality Control Commission this week is they are going to be instituting rules, or they're talking about the rules and regulations they're going to put in place. Now, just a quick point there. Here is non-elected people that's going to be making rules and regulations with force. Uh, And that's not the American idea. We are giving up a lot of our government to the administrative state. But they're going to be making these rules and regulations. And basically it's saying to auto dealers that you have to sell a a certain percentage of your fleet has to be electric vehicles that, that you sell. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be penalized. Well, wait a minute. The free market, people are saying, okay, I choose a different vehicle because it works better for me, for my family, for my business. And now you've got government coming in, and they're ultimately going to charge penalties on these uh, these dealers and these manufacturers. And guess who ultimately pays the price? You and I. Exactly. And, and the fact of the matter is, you know, we, we talk about the swamp and we talk about the administrative state, and that, that's a great point you've made. These, these are unelected uh, bureaucrats who are there because they were put there by, uh, by elected officials because they're abd- abdicating their responsibility. This commission may hold hearings so that people, so they can give the illusion of stakeholder input, but really the decisions are made before the hearings are held and they're going to do what they want to do, whether, whether, uh, you know, they hear something in a hearing that they disagree with or, or not. So it's, it, it's truly, you know, the very definition of tyranny when there's no recourse to these regulations, there's no way to appeal these regulations. There's no stakeholder input going into these formulation of these regulations. And it's just uh, it's anti-American. Well, and speaking of stakeholder input, uh, they uh, said on Tuesday that the public could come and make comments between 12 and 3 and between 6 and 8 in the evening. And uh, I couldn't make it during the day and I had things going on, but but I thought I'm going to go in the evening. I got there at 715. And I looked around, and there weren't any cars. And I thought, well, gosh, maybe everybody rode their bikes and uh, the train. But I walked in, and uh, they had to uh, close the meeting. Uh, they, or they had left. They said that they had seven people that evening to, that came to testify, and nobody else was there. And so they, they left. And, but they told the public that they'd be there from 6 to 8. So to your point, I think there is a predetermined conclusion here. But I am going to – I do need to write an email. They said, here's the email, so I'll do that. But one other thing before we get to Jason McBride is um, this is from uh, the Independence Institute. It's a piece in the centersquare.com. It says Trump's administration's new clean air rule is better for Colorado. And that is really what's on the table on whether or not Colorado is going to follow the national EPA standards or if we're going to follow California standards. And uh, and this... um, executive order puts in place that we would follow California. California is doing a heck of a job. It's a beautiful state, and they are working really hard to mess it up. But I thought this was interesting here, Rick. And uh, 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 Attorney General Phil Weiser here in Colorado, who was recently elected, uh, has uh, taken part in a, um, a lawsuit with other state attorney generals in suing the EPA over its plan to replace the Obama administration's clean power plan with the affordable clean energy rule. And this, I I thought, was fascinating. This is what Phil Weiser said. He said, protecting our land, air, and water is a top priority for the Attorney General's office. You know, that is a far cry from the real, I mean, we're to be good stewards of our land, that's for sure. But government is supposed to be there to protect people's rights. Yes, and and the Attorney General, in theory, should be enforcing the law of the state. It's not the Attorney General's job 
attorney general's job to worry about the the environment or about climate change or any other those other uh, progressive aspirations and those laws uh, we need to make sure that those laws always pa- and r- laws ordinances rules regulations they always have to pass the muster of the vision of the Declaration of Independence and follow what the Constitution uh, has put in place. I, I think it's important to understand that because you can have laws that are passed that are not they're not constitutional, and we need to always be working towards that. That's right. And the Constitution, <clears throat> the Constitution is a is the fundamental law of the land, and and no law that's passed that's against the spirit or the letter of the Constitution is legal. And and in our state of Colorado, for example, with the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, you know, governments can't take money from for, by force from us unless they ask our permission. I don't care if you call it a tax, a premium, a fee, or whatever. It's just not allowable under our state constitution. And so, like with the Family Bill, they wanted to take an income-based tax of one percent from every employee in the state. Uh, that that should have been subjected to a vote of the people under our state constitution, and they were going to try to impose that without it. And I think we'll probably see that coming back. Yeah, we will, and we'll need to uh, we'll need to fight against it, and 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 recognize that, you know, whether you call it a premium or a tax, it's still money taken from you by force to fund a government program. And word in a world where words mean things, that's important. That's very important. So I'm excited. We're going to have a great conversation in segments three and four. Before we do that, though, Jason McBride is on the line. And there is something very special happening at your house this weekend, Jason. Well, yeah, it's our, our anniversary tomorrow, 17 years. Well, congratulations. And, Jason, I have to tell you, you hit the jackpot when you married Melissa. You know, I knew you were going to say that. You know, and I always <laughs> think it's funny how... You know, gals can get, a, oh, boy, you sure married up. I'm trying to imagine a step. Now, think about this, Kim. Watch this situation. Okay. So, you know, you're standing there with your husband. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a big group of people. I come walking up, you know, a man, and I look you up and down. I look your husband up and down, and I say to you, boy, you sure married up. <laughs> How do you think that would go over? Does that happen to you, Jason? Um, yeah, you just did. I mean, every time. <laughs> no, you know, I didn't. It happens to guys all the time. Oh, they, you sure married up. I'd like to try it once just to see how the reaction would be if it was the other way. Now, I, said, I said you hit the jackpot. I didn't say you married up. Maybe I thought that, well, but yeah. I didn't say that. Oh, here's oh, Steve. Is it St. Melissa? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Well, if you ask her, it is. <laughs> well, the best thing about uh, my wife is is how honest she is. And every year on our anniversary, she tells me how lucky she was that she got me. Uh, well, that she's a special she's a special lady. So congratulations to both yes. of you. Wishing and of you. Of course, I'm just having fun, Kim. I uh, know you're right. I did hit the jackpot, and I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world. Yeah, I, I, that's pretty neat. Pretty neat. But uh, you know, that's great to have good news. It's been wild though over in in the market, and the experts say it's a fool's game to try and time the markets. What do you think, Jason? Well, I don't think it's impossible, but for the average person. 
to try and time every move is pretty darn unrealistic. And especially with the increased volatility we've had over the last 10 years, and Kim, I don't think that's ever going away, uh, it's become tougher to read even kind of the, the bigger, the mid-length trends for sure. So I know that you think it's important, Jason, uh, and very wise to have some money invested in non-market type things. But what about the money that people do have in the markets? Do they just always stay in and ride the, the downs when, when they come in? Well, I wouldn't say it's the, that's the best way. I mean, I wouldn't ride the downs on purpose, that's for sure. Uh, I'd say that even the average person could apply what I'd call some common sense market timing. And how would that work? Well, right now might be a good example. Let's think about it. Over the last 10 years, Kim, the Dow has quadrupled, and stock prices are somewhat high compared to the norms when you say where the prices versus the earnings and other metrics. Uh, That's not hard to figure out. Uh, The market's also been showing some signs of fatigue recently. I mean, hasn't really gone anywhere for, you know, a year and a half now, and we've had some pretty big down days here. Well, agreed, and I think most people wouldn't need any special tools or education to really be aware of that. Right, and now you can add in some more facts that people would be aware of. I mean, a lot of other countries are struggling. I mean, eventually that could drag our economy uh, we don't know what's going to happen with China, as much as I hate to say it. We don't know what's going to happen with the 2020 election. Um, and again, I think most uh, people would be aware of these things. Well, I think so, too. So what would be a good action plan? Well, common sense. Why not use some common sense? You just put this all together. The market's high. It's gone way up. I've probably got a lot of gains, so why not use some common sense and take some of it off the table? You don't have to sell everything, but for example, maybe you peel off 25% or something like that. Uh, if you already have safe investments, maybe a little bit less. If you, you know, if your whole nest egg's riding on the roulette wheel, maybe you peel off a little bit more. Well, and then where would you put that money? Well, that's always a question, isn't it? And I think you got a lot of options. One is just to park it in cash for a while. Uh, you could put it somewhere where it's safe, look to re-enter the market lower down the road if it comes down. Uh, Kim, I'd be a little bit careful about going too heavily into uh, bonds right now. Uh, the prices on a lot of bonds have shot way up recently. But, you know, if you're inside of retirement, maybe five to ten years away, uh, you could consider putting some of it in a safe annuity that earns a guaranteed rate for five to ten years that then you could convert to income later to supplement your Social Security and everything. Uh, finally, you know, if we're not talking about 401K money or IRA money, uh, you know, you could take some of your gains. Yeah, there'll be some taxes, but... We're in a low tax period right now. Why not get while the getting's good? And think about this. Use some of the money to pay down some debt. If you still have a mortgage, you have car payments. That's always very freeing as well. Well, it makes a lot of common sense. Common sense can get get you through a lot of different things. So we know we should buy low and sell high. 
Sometimes it's hard to sell high, and your thoughts are so valuable on this, Jason. And uh, you can do a discovery session with you. You can help people figure out what makes common sense for them. That phone number over at Presidential is 303-694-1600, 303-694-1600. And your landing page, you'll have a new uh, uh, podcast up today. That is chickspresidential.com, chickspresidential.com. Jason, thank you so much. You have a great weekend and wishing you and Melissa a very happy anniversary. Thanks. Have a great show. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. Rick Turnquist, we're going to get into this piece that you've done. It's on Americhicks.com, the proper role of government. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the Americhicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the Americhicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland for sponsoring the new Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. In Denver and Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Denver and YourTownTaxpayers.com for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to have Rick Turnquist in studio with me. You are a blogger. You're an author. uh, And uh, you're really developing into these amazing op-eds to explain things. This one that is at AmeriChicks.com that just went up, what is the proper role of Colorado's government? Uh, You went through the state budget, and it's just fascinating. Rick, it's really exciting to get to go through this with you. Well, thanks, Kim. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this with uh, with you and your listeners this morning. And when you're looking at the state budget, you really need to boil it down to what is the proper role of government? Because all this taxation and spending doesn't make sense without that kind of a context. And, you know, you and I are both uh, graduates of the leadership program of the Rockies, which is, which is a great program. And anyone who's sitting on the fence thinking they may want to do it this year, may want to do it next year or whatever, I'd encourage you to go to leadershipprogram.org and, and read about the program, learn about the program, see some of the, you know, uh, amazing people that have been through the program and, uh, and, uh, and apply the deadline for applications for this uh, next coming class is, August 31st, and then there'll be an interview, uh, you know, if you get a get accepted for an interview, there'll be an interview in September, and then you get to know by the end of September if you've been accepted or not. But it, it was real, really worth the time and effort. And one of the great things that came out of LPR was these freedom versus force flashcards, which you, and you talk about freedom versus force on the show every day. And 
under the New Deal, which was which was a progressive idea of the 1930s, you know, there's a force view of government and the economy, and there's a freedom view of the government and the economy. The force view is that government exists to manage the the one purpose of government is to manage the economy, and only a large government can manage a large complex economy. Whereas the freedom view is the economy is in the private sphere and not subject to government management. Free ma- free markets are not managed by anyone. The proper purpose of constitutional government is to protect individuals in their natural freedom and property, not attempt to manage the economy. When pe- what people choose to do with the wealth they create, how much that wealth they choose to create and with whom they choose to trade is up to them, not government regulators. And that all ties into what I when, – when we looked at Tabor last, last month and why Tabor matters, and, and the Taxpayer Bill of Rights is a very uh, – key protection for Colorado taxpayers. I I felt compelled to dig into the state budget and kind of really look at what's happened to our state budgets in the years since Tabor was passed. I'm going to date myself, but the state budget looks like the Sears and Roebuck catalog from when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Meaning it's two inches thick. <laughs> yeah, the the binder that contains the state budget is two inches thick. It weighs probably about two pounds, mm-hmm. I'd say. And uh, there's a lot of words in it mm-hmm. and a lot of numbers. And it's, uh, you know, for the average, you know, the, most of us find these things intensely boring. And, and I won't lie, you know, sitting through, I'd, I'd rather do just about anything than sit through a budget hearing. But, uh, but this is important because it's, you know, money that's taken from productive people by force to fund government programs. And we have every right to know where our money's going and what it's being used for. In this assault that we're going to see on the Taxpayer Bill of Rights on Tabor, which I think is coming down the pike in 2020, they say that they need more money. They need more money to improve the quality of life for everyday Coloradans. And they need more money to make sure that they can fund the services and programs that Coloradans have come to expect. That's right. And that's what they say. That's not right. But that- well, I'm saying that's right in terms of, yes, that's what they say. But uh-huh. um, they, there's never enough money to fund all of the progressive goals and aspirations that are out there. There just isn't. And, and you know, in, in the view of our friends on the left, you know, government exists to solve every human problem, to protect people from every possible thing that can happen to them in life, you know, that that's adversity. And and that's really not the proper role of government. And in my blog post, I talk about the proper role of government. And to that, uh, Rick, they, uh, and when we say they, I am uh, referring to, I'm calling them PBIs, that's politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, that uh, they opine that they want to do all these things for the everyday individual. That's how they sell it. But in essence, like even Phil Weiser, we talked about Attorney General Phil Weiser. He said that uh, that they're in place to protect the the land, the water, and the air. And um, they say that, but that's not really what it is. It's really about controlling things. That's right. And they, they want to have control over every aspect of our lives, basically. And we've seen that in bills that have been introduced in past sessions. You know, what kind of toilet you can use or what kind of shower you can have in your house or what kind of car you drive, for that matter. So the role of government is to protect life, liberty, and property. And when, you, when the role of government is incorrectly defined, it's going to be limited, strictly defined, and consists only of the powers granted to it by we the people in our constitutions.
when it is expanded to include other social goals and aspirations like climate change or driving ZEVs or whatever, uh, the the size, scope, and intrusiveness of the government grows. The bigger the expansion, the more the growth, and the more the growth, the more money they need. And governments don't create wealth. I, I had an argument with a or a debate with somebody a couple of years ago. They said, well, no, governments create wealth. And, well, no, governments don't create wealth. Productive people create wealth. And when you talk about Jason McBride and, you know, and wealth management, you know, this is, this is people who have worked this work to earn a living, people, people who have started a business, people who have maybe started a business, grown it and sold it. Jeff Bezos started Amazon out of his uh, you know, garage. He had a business plan. He put it together. He executed it. And now you know, he's, he's created a fabulous amount of uh, productivity improvements for everybody in, in, in America that uh, takes advantage of the Amazon uh, products and services. Okay. You know what? Let's go to break because I want to talk to you a little bit more about wealth, uh, creating wealth. And I think what I'm going to put on the table is this person that you were talking about, uh, about government creating wealth. Uh, you have we, we see senators, U.S. senators that have gone back to uh, Washington, D.C. with not much money when they became a, 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 a senator. But years later, they're millionaires. I mean, Think about Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And, um, hey, I, I, I love success. But when we say that government creates wealth, government somehow created wealth for them. But I don't think it's because they developed a service or product that people freely wanted to trade their dollars for. So let's go to break, Rick Turnquist. Let's leave that hanging out there. I want to hear what you have to say. Kim Munson, we'll be right back. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Come join the ADA Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, August 16th through Thursday, August 22nd, features will include Angry Birds 2, The Lion King, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Thrilled to have in studio with me, Rick Turnquest. Uh, important piece, it's in Americhicks.com, the proper role of government. I mean, this is the question. This is the question the founders uh, really grappled with as they were trying to figure out what this whole country was going to look like. So it is, uh, it is a, an, a, it's a question for, for the ages, for sure excellent piece that you've done. You've delved into this Colorado budget. Uh, but the question that we had out there that I, I, I set up before we went to break is uh, that government, you said you were talking with a friend that said government creates wealth. You said that it didn't. And you were going a different place there than I was. But how is it that these politicians have 
become wealthy when, in essence, they haven't created anything? That's a great question, Kim. And, and you know, you, you, while we were on break, we, we, we mentioned Bernie Sanders, the uh, everyman socialist who, uh, who owns three homes and is a, is a millionaire. And, uh, you know, he, he enjoyed the benefits of living in a capitalist society wherein he wrote a book that people wanted to buy. And, and so enough people bought the copy of his book to make him a millionaire. But, you know, it's a great question. The, the wealthiest counties in the United States are the counties immediately surrounding Washington, D.C. And it's amazing to me how somebody, and, and I know they get uh, paid pretty good salaries, you know, 100 grand a year, 150 grand a year, whatever it is. But, uh, you know, these people who spend a lifetime in government end up as multimillionaires. And like Bill and Hill, Hillary Clinton, yeah, they've sold some books and, and, you know, but I remember a time when they said they were broke uh, because of all the legal fees related to Bill's uh, shenanigans. So it, it's just a mystery to me how, how people can end up so wealthy when they work in government. But And let me just give you a number. This is from Money Nation. I just looked at this. Uh, Tom Gerenser, this was back in 2016. He said that Bill and Hillary Clinton had a combined net worth of, of $111 million. How did that happen? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I I don't know the answer to that because uh, you know, I'm just they, trying to think. Well, they you know they've you know. sold some books, uh, you know they, mm-hmm. and uh, they've sold some books. They uh, you know I think they probably paid themselves salaries from their foundation, uh, but but to to our point is that uh, that government doesn't really create wealth unless. You can you can create wealth in a couple of different ways. You can make money a couple of different ways. You can earn it or you can take it. And many times we see uh, PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties use government to take money from other people. And they may, they may have a, a quote-unquote a good reason that they um, are trying to make to take money from one person to another as they're instituting public policy. And so it goes back to what's the proper role of government. Right. And, and you're exactly right. You can, you can create wealth or you can take wealth. And people create wealth. Governments take wealth. That's a great tagline right there. And so it's the, pub, it's the productive wealth created by individuals that government take takes mostly by force to, in order to finance uh, government programs. And, you know, Tabor... We've talked about Tabor a lot, and I'm, we're going to continue talking about Tabor. Taxpayers' it, Bill of Rights. Yep, it <laughs> protects the taxpayers because it places limits on government by by saying the government can't impose new taxes or raise existing taxes without an affirmative vote of the people. It says that uh, government cannot issue new bond indebtedness uh, without an affirmative vote affirmative vote of the people because that money has to be paid back and that money can only be, be be paid back through taxation. In the event government takes more money than it's supposed to, uh, they are required to return the money to us unless we vote to allow them to keep it. And, you know, people talk about refunds, rebates, you know, what it really is is they took more money than they're entitled to from you by force and it's your money. You should get it back unless they ask you whether they can keep it. And that's where Proposition CC comes in. They want to keep all the excess revenues over the Tabor limits into perpetuity. And the Tabor limits are a very generous formula of population plus inflation. And uh, basically, hey, if we want to say we're going to give up our tax refunds, okay, I I, I don't think, I'm not going to vote for that, but maybe we do. But I think it's unconscionable that we would uh, take away the voice of the next generation on whether or not they get their tax refunds. And we're seeing the same thing happen over in Jefferson County. And we need to you need to be aware that it's not only on the state level that they are chipping away at Tabor. Many counties have already done this, but Jefferson County is going to have 
question on the ballot to see if Jefferson County can keep all of those tax refunds. So just think about this. You pile on all these different entities that that we pay taxes to, and they all, we call it detabering, where they are able to keep those tax refunds. That starts to add up for the everyday hardworking person. It really does. And and the fact of the matter is they they call it uh, debrucing, but it really is is is, is defrauding you of, of your rightful money that you earned and you had to pay to government uh, through no choice of your own. And so, you know, the budget has grown, you know, just in terms of raw numbers over the over the last twenty seven years. Colorado state budget has grown from eight billion in fiscal year ninety three ninety four to thirty two and a half billion in fiscal year nineteen twenty, which is a growth rate of three hundred and six percent. Twenty twenty. Uh, for 2020, yeah. Okay. And that's a growth rate of 306%. To put that in perspective, in the same time, Colorado's population increased by about 75%, and the inflation rate over that period was 86%. And that's one thing that I was curious about. Well, I was like, well, look at this huge increase, 300%. Mm-hmm. What if you adjust that for inflation? What does that look like? And so I did that. And even adjusted for inflation, so I, I have a table in the blog post here where I present the budgets in 93, 94, 1920. Uh, adjusted for, yeah, 1920. Oh, when you say 1920, you mean the 1920 yeah. budget yeah. year. Yeah. Okay, I'm with yeah. you now. Okay, got it. Uh, so I presented those two columns of, of data, and it still shows that even adjusted for inflation, the budget has grown by 119% over the last uh, 27 years. So what has our population grown? Uh, it's been about 75%. So and, the budget's grown over that. Yep, it sure okay. has. And then I and then I you know took I did another table that uh, you know took the appropriations by department and, and adjusted those for inflation as well. And, and, you know, they've, they've all grown, you know, with a ex- few exceptions, uh, um, you know, a couple departments kind of shrunk, which would, you know, and since they're superfluous functions of government, that's fine with me. But then I took a look, a deeper look into where the money's going and the biggest single line item in our t- 2019 to uh, to 2020 budget is uh, the Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing, which is $10.7 billion. And I will grant you that $6 billion of that comes from federal funds, which means that that's money taken by force from taxpayers across America and given to given to uh, the state of Colorado to uh, fund this. Uh, and it's mostly the Medicaid expansion that took place as a result of Obamacare. Uh, we're paying $8 billion in medical services premiums for uh, about 1.2 million Coloradans. And then, of course, there's other things in the budget. And you got to look. So if you look at the executive director's office in that department, it's almost $400 million. How many people work in that department? What do they do all day? How much are they being paid? And and I'm not even talking about the para burden, which is off balance sheet essentially, and it's not part of this not part of this budget. Uh, then we look at the Department of Public Health and Environment. That's uh, six hundred million dollars. Uh, where all that money goes to. We look at human services, which is $2.3 billion, which is actually more than transportation is in the budget. Uh, it's 7.2% of the operating budget. And then we look at uh, Department of Education. And I would submit to you that one of the reasons politicians and bureaucrats and interested parties are always asking us for more money for education and higher education. But we're spending uh, about $6,900 per public school student and $26,000 per higher education student already. And those two light items together account for 34% or $11 billion of our budget appropriations. And so I just am throwing out the question here, 
how much is, you know, they always say they want more, but how much is enough? And are we getting a good return on our investment? People, you know, and I'm not an education expert, so I don't know the answers to these questions, but I think it's worth having a conversation. Well, and that's why, as we're going to be having this conversation regarding uh, TABOR, the assault on TABOR next year, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, this piece that you have done on the proper role of government, I bet you've spent 15 hours on this. I mean, significant amount of time on this. And, and you've broken out these numbers so that we can understand, are, do we really not have enough money? Or is the money not being spent wisely and responsibly? And I spoke with a legislator who, uh, who, who's in a position to know. And there's, there's, some, uh, there's some overlap between departments and there's waste in, in departments. And there's, there's money going, you know, that are buried in the budget that, you know, money to go to fund little pet projects like having uh, census walkers go out and, and, and knock on doors to, to ask people about, you know, the census and things like that. And, and, you know, there's just, if we skinny down our state government and there's a great book out there. Okay. A great book. Uh, it's called An Inquiry into the Nature of, and Causes of the Wealth of States, which talks about these issues of taxation and government spending. And uh, that's worth looking into a little bit more, but I think we're running out of time. So we'll have, have to have save you that back. for another day. You come back next month. <laughs> That'd be great. So again, go to Americhicks.com. Check out Rick Turnquist's op-ed there. And uh, our quote for today is by Robert Heinlein. He says, there is no worse tyranny than to force a man to pay for what he does not want merely because you think it would be good for him. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.